Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Bush Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... Every time he's been up here, he's been great. He does a lot of sketch stuff, a lot of improv, a lot of acting in general. He's a classy-looking, photogenic bastard. I love him to death. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Krupnik! Good evening, everybody. Deb, is this okay? All right. So tonight's theme is surrender. And when I think about surrender, I often think about somebody giving up. You think about people in war, especially, having been uh, beaten by a superior force. And it makes them feel obviously belittled. It makes them feel worthless. They've given up on a dream and an ideal. And surrender is, that's one part of surrender. But there's also a part of surrender that, if you think about it, is it's kind of sweet when you surrender your heart to somebody that you love. So the word has almost two diametrically op opposed meanings. I see it somewhere in the middle. I see surrender as a situation that you have been given that really when you've evaluated it, you have no choice but to not follow that path. And then I also see that you can reevaluate the situation and try to make a new plan and defeat what had beaten you the first time. So I want to talk about how I think I defeated a, a situation. Go back to 1980. I was in Casablanca, Morocco. I'm a 23-year-old businessman, at least I think I'm a businessman at 23, who was invited by the government of Morocco to become their representative for a chain of hotels in the United States, and they had also hired me, uh, because I lived in Los Angeles at the time, they had hired me to help open up the Office of Tourism in Los Angeles. It's a long story how I met these folks, but my wife is French. I met them through my French brother-in-law who did all of their advertising in Europe for them. And so they said to me, if you can do this for us, we would like you to go to Morocco and learn about our country, and that will help you to be a better representative for us. I meet a gentleman by the name of Mohamed Mernisi. Mohamed was the head of the Office of Tourism in Los Angeles, and he says to me that, quote, you are going to be the guest of the King of Morocco. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yes, we will take care of you. You are going to go to, to Fez and to Rabat and Marrakesh and Casablanca. Wonderful. I'm going to be the guest. And sure enough, they fly me first class on Royal Air Morocco, and I land in Casablanca, 8 o'clock in the morning, wide-eyed and not knowing really what to expect. And Mohammed was supposed to be there to meet me. He had set up all of our meetings. He had set up everything. And as, <laughs> as I get there, 
and I'm looking around, there is probably a lot of guys named Mohammed, just not mine. He's nowhere to be found. I had the name of the hotel I was supposed to go to and the basic itinerary, but that's about all I had. I also was supposed to be given a rental car. And the rental car was supposed to be an automatic vehicle. Now, you have to understand that I did not know how to drive a stick shift. And I had finally given up after 45 minutes of no Mohammed to figure out I needed to get to the hotel. And so I went up, got my vehicle, only to find out, again, that it was a stick. Now, they did upgrade me to a Mercedes, uh, but that didn't do me any good and probably destroyed the clutch of that poor vehicle. Uh, A trip that should have taken me 20 minutes to go to my hotel took over an hour, mostly because the car kept stalling every three minutes, and I come to find out that there is a war going on in Morocco at the time, and there are no maps allowed. <laughs> now, I know I looked like a guy who would probably vote with the Polisario. That was the war. It was in Western Sahara, nowhere near Casablanca. They had been experiencing some terrorism. But here I find myself without a map and basic directions. Now, also, something else. I don't speak Arabic. Very few people in those days spoke English. The only common language that we had was French. My French was rudimentary at that time, at best. So you can imagine there's a lot of sign language, gestations going around, but we're not communicating very well. I finally arrive at my hotel, and I find that without a Mohammed, there is also no hotel reservation for me. They don't know my name. They don't know who I am. They don't know anything about me. They don't know Mohammed Mernisi. They did have a room available, which they were kind enough to sell to me for $200. And I remember at 23 years old, I had a credit card that probably had about uh, $1,500 worth of credit, and maybe maybe I had $750 left. This was not expected. And I'm very disappointed, and I'm very angry, And more to the point, I'm probably a little scared because I am way out of my element. But I'm in Casablanca, so I'm going to get out of the hotel. I'm going to do some exploring. And I walk about 500 yards from the hotel, and I am immediately accosted by people asking if I want to buy drugs. I'm accosted by prostitutes and by people wanting to change money. Now, granted, maybe it wasn't a good idea for me to go out looking like a Western star, because I had on a pair of blue jeans, a, uh, a leather jacket, and uh, cowboy boots. And I quickly hightailed it back to my hotel, and I was at the point of surrender. I literally was at the point of saying, maybe I should just go home. This is not working out. These people are really flakes. And then I thought about it. I said, no, I'm here. It's a bad situation. I've got to fix it. So I called home. I spoke to my wife. I said, can you please call the people at the uh, Office of Tourism right away? Let them know what's going on. And by 24 hours later, I had a driver and I had uh, a schedule that was actually something that I'd be able to keep. Now, my driver was in Rabat. Rabat is the capital of Morocco. I had to get from Casablanca to Rabat in the car that I am stalling every three minutes. It was challenging, to say the least, for two reasons. One, uh, I didn't drive the stick. Two, I didn't have good directions because I didn't have a map. 
I got lost within three minutes, and as I was trying to find my way back to the hotel, I actually found a road that said Rabat. And believe me, I took that road, and I went straight. And one of the things that I found phenomenally fascinating about Morocco is that they have all this decorative art on the side of their roads. Burned out cars, dead animals. Uh, in fact, there was actually, to this day, I can't figure out how it happened, a half a cow. Literally a half a cow. So I got to Rabat and uh, met my guide there. His name was Mohammed Tazi. And he was a sweet, sweet man. And we went to our, our meetings. And I, two things had to happen. One, I had to start speaking a little more French. And two, I began to learn a lot about the Moroccan culture. And Mohammed said to me, would I be willing to visit his grandmother's house because it was a day that he normally visited her before we went from Rabat to uh, Fez? And I said, sure, absolutely. And this is something that I, I've always found to be so fascinating and important. When you travel, if you get to be in a home of the people you are visiting who live in that country, it, it, it's a treat, it's a joy, and it allows you to understand a culture so much better. His grandmother was ancient. She did not look at me per se. I was served tea and I almost felt like I was being tolerated. But when we left, it was interesting. I said to him, because I watched her watch her grandson with adoring eyes, and I said, you know, please thank your grandmother for her hospitality, and please tell her that I admired the way she loves you. And I made two friends that day. So we go from Rabat to Fez. I can not only not drive a vehicle, but I can't use a microphone properly either. In any case, he asked me if I want to or I'm willing to have some uh, brochette. Do I like it? I said, of course I do. He said, this is very fresh. We're going to go to a small village. You'll love it. Well, I discovered two other things in this particular luncheon date that we were having. The first one was that one does not take photos of residents of small villages who believe that you are capturing their soul by snapping their picture. It's really not a good idea you will be very quick to lose your camera, and perhaps worse. The second thing that I learned was that his idea of fresh brochette and mine differed greatly, because the brochette was a side of beef hanging from a hook outside with flies around it, and they are carving the meat and then cooking it in a grill. That was bad. But turning to my left at a table next to me, which was an outdoor kitchen, we were at like a picnic table, were the heads of cows, goats, sheep, things that people buy for their, their meals. They, they make soup out of this. Very culturally different, but not what I expected for lunch. We get to Fez late in the evening, and I wake up the next morning, and this was possibly one of the most amazing sights I ever saw in my life. When you're in the Middle East, you hear the Muzan call the faithful to prayer, normally at sunrise. And so I hear that blasting out over the loudspeakers. And then I hear the clip-clop of a donkey 
and a cart. And the room was quite large, and it had French doors, and I opened up the French doors to see a fog in a bit of a city. And then all of a sudden, the fog begins to dissipate, and I see magic. I see a walled city that's white. I see a sun that's shining over it, and I realize that I made absolutely the right decision to not give up on this particular trip, and it made me fall in love with Morocco. Well, we leave Fez to go to Marrakesh, and this is where surrender point number two comes in. Unbeknownst to me, just before we're ready to leave, I get food poisoned. Being sick is bad enough. Being sick in a third world country is not anything I would recommend. And so we had to delay our trip. And this particular trip to Marrakesh was the most important point of the entire trip for me. I had to be there the next day. I slept for about four and a half, five hours. And then we drove all night long to a small town called Warazarte. Two beautiful things happened on this trip to Warazarte. The first was... I got to see a night sky like I've never seen in my life because you go through the Atlas Mountains and there's nothing there. There are Bedouins and Berbers and that's all you have. And the night sky is something like out of a planetarium, shooting stars everywhere. And I got out of the car and I stopped to look and I get the heck scared out of me by a shoulder being grabbed by, uh, by somebody, i.e. my friend Mr. Tazi. And he grabs me and he takes me back into the car yelling at me the whole time because apparently there are bandits on this road, he tells me, and wild animals because we are in Africa and there are jungles. And lo and behold, we don't go two and a half miles further than there is a black panther in the middle of the road staring at us. Now, the good news was we were inside the car. The bad news was for the next two hours I had to hear how he, tell, how he saved my life. Well, surrender point number three is coming up now, and this is the last surrender point. I'm exhausted. I wasn't feeling well. And I want you to keep in mind, this is 1980. A very big event happened in 1980, the hostage crisis with Iran. I'm a very idealistic young American, love my country, and I am in a bar in this hotel and I'm hearing somebody, and I'm with, the, with my friend Tazi, and I'm hearing with the hotel manager. And I'm hearing snide remarks made about America, snide remarks being made about me, and for some ridiculous reason, I heard the words John Wayne, and it pissed me off. And I couldn't to this day tell you why it did. But I excused myself from the table... Literally, I felt like I was John Wayne. I kind of sauntered over like this. And I said, if you've got something to say, and you say it to me right now, or shut up. The next thing I know, I'm almost tackled, not by the people at the bar, but by the hotel manager, who grabs me, rushes me into the hallway, down into my room, tells me to lock the door and not come out. In fact, tells me to put a chair against my door. Then they decide to move me to the, to the second floor because I was on the ground floor. I have no idea what's going on until finally when things settle down somewhat, and there are, by the way, two armed guards outside my room all night long, 
I had insulted the son of the local Mafia Don. I got a police escort out of town that night, or that next morning. I surrendered, in a sense, because I was so angry, young, foolish, and common sense finally kicked in afterwards when I realized how dangerous this could have been for me. So, when I think about surrender, when I think about the story of, you know, this particular story of Morocco, it led me to think very much about how I changed a lot as a human being. I came back, my wife would tell you, I came back fluent in French, and I mean that, I, I, it was always within me, but I didn't know it. Uh, she was shocked when I came back speaking French. I began to think in French, actually, and dream in French. Uh, but more to the point, I came back, I think, a better person in understanding a culture and understanding that there were certain things that I had within me that I didn't realize I, I, I had. So I leave you with, with two things. One, a postscript on my friend Mr. Mohammed Murnisi, who never showed up. Mr. Murnisi was sent back to Morocco for two reasons. And one was he was going to divorce his wife, which would have been nice to know before going. The second was apparently he had embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the tour office of Morocco. He was never going to meet me at any airport. Luckily for him, by the way, uh, his brother saved the king's life and basically I'm sure he did not go to jail as a result. The last thing I'll leave you with is this. Morocco's a, a beautiful place. It's Rick's Cafe, it's Casablanca, and so, here's looking at you, Brendan. Thank you. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. We will find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller Podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.